This week on the Sport Blokes. This week, a massive round two of the AFL season. Who run the world of commentary girls? David Copperfield joins the Madrid Athletics. Crazy stats are plenty. And Nathan and I dissect a jam-packed trade deadline in the NBA. Let's go. So, Shui, another massive week in sport with so much to watch and too little time to watch it. COVID implications rife. Before we get on to what we normally start with, you wanted to clarify a few things from last week. Yeah, firstly, I've got an apology to Jack Silvani. I, I misspoke last week in saying that both of the injury subs in the Carlton-Richmond game were fraudulent. His clearly wasn't, as he's uh, he's out with the shoulder for a little while. Fair enough. So apologies there. And the other thing I did want to just quickly clarify last week when we were talking about triple-doubles, I mentioned a bench player from Houston stealing a rebound from James Harden to stop him from getting a triple-double. It was Troy Daniels. Ah, yes, of Troy course. Daniels. He's still around. Yes. And bad, <laughs> bad news, though, no. Harden actually rebounded an air ball at the buzzer, so he did get it there in the end. Yeah, can it be a rebound if it doesn't actually hit anything? Yes. Yeah, I know it can. <laughs> if it's dangerous. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Anyway, as we normally do at the top, Stewie, what caught your attention and what did you miss? Well, what caught my attention was something really cool from the Toronto Raptors and Denver Nuggets game on Thursday. We saw the first all-female broadcast in NBA history led by Megan McPeak and Kia Nurse. I thought that was really, really cool. It's an amazing milestone for the league. And when you think of some of the great female commentators out there, including the likes of Doris Burke, Rachel Nichols, Michelle Tafoya, Sage Steele, Michelle Beadle, Cassidy Hubbard, Kristen Ledlow, the list goes on and on and on. Mm. There is no reason that this couldn't be something done far more often. When you consider things like the player-only games, why not have you know the, the, the women-only or the females-only games? So there's Absolutely, so, yeah. so many great yep. applications. Yep. And when you think about it, it would be so easy for us to do this in the cricket as well. You've got Issa Guha, you've got Alison Mitchell, Lisa Stalaker, Absolutely, yep. Mel Jones, Nerily Meadows, Mel McLaughlin. Yep, that all is, excellent. That is a cracking team. Yep. The footy, you've got Kelly Underwood, Daisy Pierce, Abby Holmes, Aaron Phillips, Sarah Ollie, Nerily Meadows does the AFL as well. Nerily Meadows is one of the best sport journalists in Australia. You could put together a really strong team in all of them. So... I thought, you know, that's something really great in this world. Yeah, where absolutely. Yeah, obviously trying to be a lot more inclusive of, yep. of females in sport. And breaking glass ceilings. Exactly. Yep. This yep. is a, a really, really cool thing. Also, from that game, I saw a ridiculous stat line. Nikola Jokic leads the Nuggets in points, rebounds. Yes, I saw this on Twitter. Assists, steals, <laughs> field goal percentage, three-point yeah. percentage, free-throw percentage, yep. minutes, player efficiency rating, yep. and assist percentage. Pretty much everything. He also leads them in fouls and turnovers per game. But, yeah, well, um, it's a small price to pay. Yeah, it was disappointingly, he's only fourth in blocks. Oh. But yeah, could he do anything more for the Nuggets? Love honestly? that guy. One of my favorite players in the whole league. So good to watch. So what caught your attention, Knife? Well, speaking of women's sports, Joey, there was a lovely uh, post-match proposal after the Melbourne City game. Riley Dobson playing her last game of her career was proposed to on the sideline by her fiancé, Matt Stonham, which was a lovely little... She said yes, of course. She'd actually proposed to him a couple of times and he'd said no. Really? I didn't know that part of yeah. it. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So obviously he was planning on doing this yeah, when she okay. retired. Oh, did, did she do the old proposing the leap year thing? Yeah. Well, so she's actually retiring because he's got health issues. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So she's Bra actually, I think it's brain cancer or something yeah, terrible. Yeah, so, something like, really yeah, it's nasty. not good. Yeah. But obviously yeah. it's a beautiful story. Lovely story. Yeah. 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 And then a couple of things in the ice hockey world. So starting with college, Stewie, in the NCAA men's tournament, it took Duluth five overtimes to beat North Dakota, which is a record in wow. the NCAAs. The Buffalo Sabres, if I'm not mistaken, are on a 18-game losing streak in the NHL. They've already lost one coach during the run. There's talks they may lose another. <laughs> oh so, so not doing good. They're still doing better than the Houston Rockets, though. Yeah, well, yeah. I don't think they're trying to tank, though. But no. I'm not sure. I don't follow it as closely, but I'm not sure. What'd you miss, mate? Well, I managed to miss the Perth Wildcats and Sydney Kings game on Sunday. I didn't actually miss the game. I did watch it on TV. But I was all set to go and pick up some season tickets from a friend of ours to go along and watch at RAC Arena. Just before I went for the drive, I get a message from him saying, yeah, unfortunately, I can't throw in the flights to Sydney. Do yeah, you... I was going to say, it was in Sydney. Do, do you still want to go? <laughs> <laughs> and then oh, it dawned shit. on me that the game was being played in Sydney and not yeah. there, so I missed out on a free game. But funnily enough, we've actually been offered tickets again this Thursday, and instead of the New Zealand Breakers as it was meant to be, 
the Sydney Kings are now coming to town. Uh, so, easy come, easy go. So I will actually end up getting to see the Kings play this week. We'll talk, about, we'll talk about that a little bit later, though, when we get into the NBL. Yes, indeed. What we did you will. miss, Knife? Well, unfortunately, I missed the Cats and Lions game, oh. which was an absolute belter, but because I was at the Wildcats game, yeah. so... There was actually a guy sitting a few seats across watching that game on his phone at the Wildcats. This modern world we live in. Were you getting updates? Well, sure, no. I can't say that I did, but uh, I did see some highlights and I did see the controversial finish. So we'll talk about that soon too. Mm -hmm. And now, what made Stu say bloody hell? Well, the bloody hell this week takes us to the indoor meeting Villa de Madrid for the 60 metre sprint which is a bit random as it is. Yeah, I didn't know that existed. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, I haven't been able to find anything more than a video on this one, but it is crazy. So basically the video shows a field of six runners. And at the end of this 60 meter track, there's about 30 meters and then a padded fence to stop the runners because they're obviously going full tilt. Oh yeah. Well, the guy who won the event managed to trip up about five meters back from this fence and he's landed level with the bottom of it. And there's a small gap at the bottom of the fence, yeah. about a metre by half a metre. And he's basically gone straight through the bottom of this with his drop-off. And it's it's this disappearing act. It's almost like yeah. David, David Copperfield. Like he's, <laughs> he's just disappeared. It's crazy. Everyone looks around because no one has any idea where that actually <laughs> leads to. Like, does that... Yeah, well, the first thing when you showed me the video, I was like, how far is that drop? Yeah. Like, what's Has this guy won a race and then died? Yeah, oh, like, like, is he disappearing into the depths of hell? Like, we, we don't <laughs> he know. He sold his soul to win the race. Yeah, <laughs> yeah race. literally. <laughs> so he got tripped up by Satan, basically. <laughs> But no, somehow he's wandered out from behind this like he's just woken up from a nap. It's it's amazing. <laughs> if he'd wandered out of his lane by even a foot, though, he would have hit that railing, travelling at about 10 metres a second. This would have been a very, very different story. Yeah. So it's nice to be able to have a bit of a chuckle at it because it's obviously gone well. All's well, it ends well, yeah. But I read this cracking comment about having never seen a bloke bail on his round at the bar so dramatically. <laughs> <laughs> He's just... Uh, <laughs> so, he had a win. Everyone should be buying him a drink. Damn right. Yeah, he might need one for his head too. That's it. So for narrowly avoiding a complete disaster in Madrid and walking away from it like it ain't no thing, all I can say is infierno sangriento. <laughs> of course. Bloody hell. Bloody hell. So, Stewie, the trade deadline has now passed in the NBA and I've got to say it's actually... A little bit better than surprisingly good, you know, certainly better than the old Brent Barry for Isaac Austin years where oh, there's block, like one that, trade. That blockbuster. <laughs> I still don't know why Miami did that. But anyway, we won't talk about trades from 20 years ago. We will start with the buyout market, though, because there was a little bit of a surprising one with LaMarcus Aldridge. He was tipped to go to Miami, but no, he's joined with the Brooklyn Nets. Jeez, uh, I mean, how much more of a favourite can Brooklyn be right now? Well... You'd have to definitely have them coming out of the East at this stage. So if you look at their core now, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan and LaMarcus Aldridge, that's 41 all-star berths, 13 all-NBA first teams, nine second teams and nine third teams and five Olympic gold medals. Mm -hmm. it's, it's absolutely crazy. Has the buyout market hurt the deadline? And hurt trades in general. I think so, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a shame. I think this is probably the most clear-cut example of teams just taking the piss now. Yeah. You've got Blake Griffin, who was set to make $29, $30 million next year. With Detroit, a lot of money. And you've got LaMarcus Aldridge, who was set to make $24 million. Well, he was expiring, but But yeah. still. Yep. This is where I, I wanted to kind of float an idea. Okay. Does it make sense to potentially introduce a rule where a player who is bought out can't re-sign for less than half of the buyout amount? It's a very interesting rule, but it would almost eradicate all buyouts altogether because very few teams have cap space from year to year. Not, not that much for these buyout cap. It's an interesting rule. It is an interesting rule. Because if we look at Aldridge yeah. as the example, he even with the, the 7.25 million, I think it was, that he handed back, his buyout would be worth 16.75 mil. So what if you just say he can't sign for less than 8.3? Yeah, yeah. Then it well, means... Brooklyn definitely wouldn't have been able to. Not many teams would have, though. That's the thing. If they brought that rule in, teams would maybe change the way they do things. It's an interest. It is an interesting... I like the thinking. I like the thinking. I mean, it can't just be as simple as getting guys like Aldridge and Griffin. They got them for a combined $2.8 million. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I think it was 2.1 American, 2.8 yeah. Australian. 
How much time is Aldridge actually going to get there, do you think? Oh, because, you know, often they can play Durant at power forward, which is his preferred position. He doesn't like playing centre. He'd mm-hmm. probably have to anyway. But then they've got DeAndre Jordan there. But then he gives you a different look. If you look at what Jordan is, he's a shot blocker. A dunk of his stretch for Exactly. Yeah, he's yeah, he's yeah. a lob catcher, whereas yeah. Aldridge can legitimately shoot the three-pointer. Yeah. So He's I, added that to his game. Yeah. I mean, he's, he got up at one stage with the Spurs. He was shooting 41% yeah, from the day. Yep. That is elite. Yeah. Absolutely yep. elite. Yeah. So, you know, you think of guys like KD, Kyrie, and, and James Harden, you know, they can get into the lane with minimal resistance because these shot blockers have to pick their poison. Yeah. You either allow Aldridge a wide open 18 footer, which he's going to hit more than half of the time, or you give Harden or Irving or whoever it is a, a wide open layup. So, yeah, I think this gives Brooklyn a, a much different look to what they would get with, you know, when they had that, that sort of DeAndre Jordan and Jarrett Allen yep, duo, total. which were yep. exactly the same. Yeah, player. yeah, there was duplication. Sure, he's not going to average 25 minutes a game. He'll probably get 15 minutes a game, but. I, I, well, he's clearly ring chasing Absolutely. because I, I think Miami would have been the perfect situation for him. Miami's got a star in Jimmy Butler who does a lot and is excellent and is heart and soul, plays hard, plays great tea, but doesn't score a shit ton of points like some of the stars do. I think Aldridge would have slotted into that team perfectly. I think it's a really curious decision for me. He's got a big ego himself. Remember, he joined the Spurs pretty much thinking he'd take over from Tim Duncan, but then Kawhi Leonard stepped up and basically, you know, won a championship for the Spurs. So I, I, I think it's it's very interesting. I think that when the stormy times come, it, that will be the true test because there are so many egos on that team now. And I suspect that he fancies himself as being more important and better than what he is at this stage in his career. We know Kyrie Irving's a nutcase. I think the true test is still to come. And that's why Blake Griffin's been so successful in the early days with Brooklyn. Because he's accepting his role. Yeah, I, I am the fourth option. Oh, most of the Griffin time. was a was a really excellent pickup for them. Aldridge, I'm a little surprised. I'm a little surprised. And just quickly going back to your Miami point, there, I think another reason why he would have been a great fit in Miami is the fact that Miami basically have no centers except for Bam Adebayo now. Yep, and again, different type of center, not a stretch four, so or a stretch five. Yeah, yep, definitely works. Now, the other fairly interesting but obviously poorly kept secret in the buyout market was Andre Drummond to the Lakers. Yep. Uh, that's been, you, you're exactly right. It's been the worst kept secret for about a month. I don't think he potentially does that much for them, but he will again give them a little bit of resistance while Anthony Davis is out. That's right, yeah. So yeah. I think what he is is basically some short-term insurance because they yeah. have been struggling. I mean, they... Yeah, and Gasol hasn't really done for them what they thought he would either. No. So, yeah, I've come around on this one a little bit more. I think it's actually quite important for them in this intervening period where both James and Davis are out. Well, they, I mean, they beat Orlando by three today. So they're struggling to... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they are well and truly within play-in game status. Definitely. Absolutely. So, yeah, look, it was that was an interesting couple of moves in that buyout market. But, geez, do we have some trades to get through? We do. None involving Kyle Lowry, which is probably a good thing we didn't deal with the rumours. We didn't have time to deal with the rumours anyway. We Mm -hmm. thought we'd wait for it to all kind of happen. Where do we start? Aaron Gordon, I guess. Yeah, I think we we probably start off with the three trades coming out of Orlando. Yep. The fire sale. So... I was going to joke and say that we didn't mention the huge trade from last week, which was Speed Mackay look from Detroit to OKC for Hamadou Diallo. <laughs> <laughs> but uh. but no, obviously this is probably one of the big ones. So the Denver Nuggets have picked up Aaron Gordon and Gary Clark for Gary Harris, RJ Hampton, and a 2025 protected first round pick. Yeah, I'm I'm interested about this one. I still haven't really decided if I think it was a good deal or not. So on Twitter, a lot of the Denver fans are saying, great, we're trading away all our defenders. Gordon's not a terrible defender. And I think he'll definitely benefit from an offense that has a bunch of really good passes. A guy like Jokic, if he's just standing on the baseline, he'll he'll get six to eight points in dunks every game probably. So I think offensively, it's a great deal for Denver. Defensively, I don't know. I don't know. Probably, it probably is a good deal. It's probably the best deal they could make, and they probably are slightly better than where they were. But geez, their defense is not close to what it was last season. Obviously, with Jeremy Grant gone too. I'm going to play the other side of that for a second. If you look at some of the teams that they're going to have to get past in the Western Conference, I'll start off with the Lakers. 
you've got to have a huge body to go up against LeBron James. Yep. Gordon's that that body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the Clippers, you've got to have someone big and strong to go against Kawhi Leonard. Or George. Or, or Paul George. Yep. You know, if you're looking at the Dallas Mavericks, they've got Luka Doncic. There's a lot of these teams that have really big, solid bodies. It's not just... But Gary Harris was a very important defender for them. Oh, absolutely. On the perimeter. Absolutely superb. Yeah. But how many teams that are really threatening, aside from, say, your Donovan Mitchells, Chris Paul, there's not really many guys in the West where you sort of... You're thinking about those bigger, the swingmen blokes. That, yeah. Yeah, six, eight-ish. Yeah, exactly. yeah fair enough. So yeah. I think that's where it's really important. And I think if you look at Gary Harris offensively, he's been subpar. Mm. He hasn't been the same for the last couple of seasons. And unfortunately, Will Barton kind of never lived up to his potential either after that injury too. Well, I mean, that's the thing though. This is now an opportunity for him. Yeah, well, yeah. You've got Monte Morris, you've got PJ Dozier. They don't really, I think, lose that much in getting rid of him. Um, I guess what I'm what I'm sort of saying with Gordon is he's a solid stretch four. You can use him in pick and rolls. Imagine a pick and roll of him and Jokic. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, as you mentioned before, yeah. Jokic is an amazing passer. Oh, he's he's going to get a lot from that. Oh, yeah, he'll just sit on the baseline and get backdoors and dunks all the time. Yeah. Like Gordon's one of these guys where if you said to me, he is one of your top two guys in the team, it's not a good no, sign. No, no. But if you said to me he's your third, three or option, four, yep, yep. That's when you start thinking, yep. okay, this is yeah, you know, this is starting to shape up as, as being quite good. Yep. It, it all depends on how he accepts his role, because you've got Porter there too, as we saw in the playoffs last year. Thinks a lot of himself true. and a lot of his role. So a lot of chemistry experiments going on in the NBA. Yeah, definitely. Uh, look, the main thing is he's not going to have to try and be the man in Denver. So he's no. not going to have to force things. No, definitely not. He'll, yeah. he'll basically be able to do what he does well. So yep. I, I think this is a really great move for Denver personally. It's probably the best they could do, given what was available. Yeah. Yeah. Um, look, they also picked up JaVale McGee for Isaiah Hartenstein. I don't think that does anything except maybe bury Bol Bol even further. Yeah, it probably bench. doesn't move the needle a hell of a lot. But oh, they did lose Plumlee in the offseason, so it does it does pay to have some bigs. I don't think it does anything. No, I don't, I don't think it moves the needle a hell of a lot. He's averaging five and a half minutes a game this yeah, season. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I, I think he'll probably just sit on the bench. But Now, from one Orlando Magic trade to another, this one's a bit of a head-scratcher for me. I'm not entirely sure about it, but... So you've got Nikola Vucevic being traded with Al Farouk Aminu from Orlando to Chicago for Wendell Carter Jr., Otto Porter Jr., and a 2021 first rounder. Oh, and a 2023 first rounder as well. So a lot mm. of picks. Mm. What are your thoughts on this one? Well, Vuce is an all-star. He's a very good player. In fact, he's one of only, what, three guys averaging 24 and 12 or something like that, I think we've spoken about recently. So I, I think it's a... Good, I think it's a good trade for Chicago. Levine and Vucevic is worth trying out as a decent core. Orlando are clearly just tanking now. And and some teams can tank better than others. And what I mean by that is no state taxes in Florida, sunny, nice weather. It's this destination place. So it's good for Orlando to tank. So I think both. it's probably a good trade for both teams. I, I think this is a great trade for Chicago. I mean, Vucevic, as you mentioned, he's a fucking beast. Yeah. Yep. He's in at 24 and a half points, 11.8 rebounds. So you're pretty much right on. Well, it might have dipped down since I saw those stats. Yeah. Just a little bit. As we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, the three-point shooting, he's shooting 41% from deep. He is tied for 14th in the league in makes. Even competing in skills challenges. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, you know, look, I don't know if this does much... For the championship, well, it does nothing for the championship race. No, 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 not this season. What it does, though, is a little bit for the Eastern Conference play-in games. Now, the Bulls currently sit in the 10th seed, but there are only three losses behind the fourth seed. Yeah, I know. I heard that today on the low post. Yeah, yeah. They should rise from this. How much does it feel like 1995 when you're saying fourth seed New York Knicks? Yeah, well, yeah. It's It's been that long, nearly. It still blows my mind. Yeah, they had that one good year with Carmelo, I think. But yeah, it's been pretty lean in New York for a long time. But yeah, with Vooch, I I really like the fact that obviously they can run pick and rolls, pick and pops, whatever they need. Yeah. It definitely makes them them better. They lose a little bit defensively. I mean, Carter Jr. is a shot blocker, but... The thing I don't like about this for Orlando is Wendell Carter Jr. basically is going to screw Mo Bamba even more. Well, there's a lot of talk that Mo Bamba's a bust. 
Well, because he's not playing. Well, I mean, maybe he's not getting minutes because he's not showing anything in training. I wish that he had been traded personally. I, I, I would love to see Mobamba get a chance with the team. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I just don't see it happening in Orlando personally but clearly clearly the cap room space and the picks is the most important thing for Orlando at this stage yeah look Porter look he's got the potential he could be one of these you know really good players on a really bad team sort of guys that we talk about and look maybe a couple of seasons where he's the guy might actually be quite useful for him he's still young yep he's two seasons removed from averaging 17 and a half points on a 48 49 90 clip wow okay at Washington? No, in, in Chicago. When oh, they, when he, okay. Just after they traded right, him across. Right. So, you know, Porter could be the guy in this team. And look, they're going to be terrible. We know that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a foregone conclusion. Yeah. But now's the time to tank. I mean, this is a draft that you need to have. The next two, as I keep saying. Yeah. If, yep. you, if you've got a top five or six draft pick in this draft, that helps. I Look, I'm... There's so many teams that sit in mediocrity for a long time and never really go anywhere. I am a big proponent of all or nothing. As I say, Orlando is an attractive option for free agents for a number of reasons. I think Orlando are doing the right thing. Yep. And then to continue the Orlando fire sale, Evan Fournier traded to Boston for two second round picks and Jeff Teague, who has been promptly waived and is now signing with the Milwaukee Bucks. Mm. I mean, this seems like a no-brainer for Boston, really, doesn't it? Yeah, I, th- I thought it was interesting that they got rid of Tice. I thought he was a decent big for them. Um, but look, they clearly needed to do something because they've been underperforming this season. So it was a it was a decent crack for them. Look, Tice was a luxury tax reason. Yeah, so, I know. yeah. So they had to sort of make room there, which is a shame because obviously that ruins their big man stocks a little bit. But yeah, geez, what a what a great move for Boston. I mean. I don't know, again, whether this even puts them up into that top bracket with the likes of Brooklyn, Philadelphia, and Milwaukee. Milwaukee, yeah. But... I should, they should be a top four team when all said and But what Fournier does is he gives them a similar game to what Gordon Hayward has, but he gives them that without wanting 30 minutes. A bit more passing, yeah. yeah. A little yeah. bit more passing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, if you look at a combination of four of the five guys of Fournier, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, and Kemba Walker. It's not provided a, he stays healthy. Provide, yeah, provided they all stay healthy. Well, yeah, yeah, true. It, look, it's not an easy out in any playoff series. If they have a half-decent series from the likes of Grant Williams, yeah, they're going to be tough. Yeah. They're going to be tough. Well, we know that Tatum and Brown are excellent in the playoffs. They will step up in the playoffs. So, Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, look, this this could be an interesting move. I, I guess we'll probably know a little bit more about that in a couple of months' time once we kind of see what they're like in a seven-game series. They had to do something. Absolutely, they did. Yeah. And, and from all accounts, Jeff Teague and Tristan Thompson have been absolutely tearing the shit apart in, okay. that, lo- in that locker room. Yeah, from, right. From what I've heard, Tristan Thompson is hated in that locker yeah, room. Yeah, right. Okay. So, Kardashian curse. Well, <laughs> everything they touch turns to shit. But uh, no, look, it's it's good that they've made the first move and I don't think Thompson will play. He probably won't play again for the rest of the season. Oh, I'm kind of surprised he's still in the league, really, yeah. Yeah. in some ways. Now, we spoke with Miami earlier, Stewie. They didn't get Aldridge, but they did get Victor Oladipo after a very short stay indeed in Houston. Look, this has the potential to be the trade of the deadline. Yeah, yep. You know, the, this is probably one of those top risk reward sort of trades that you could possibly go for. Yep, this one or Gordon, definitely. So to sum up the trade, Victor Oladipo from Houston for Avery Bradley, Kelly Olynyk, and a 2022 first round pick swap. Which is hilarious because there's no way that... what like Who throws in a pick swap with Houston? Well, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah it's, it's not going to happen. It's null and void. Yeah, basically. But look, what, you can, what you'd say about Miami, they've got a bunch of guys who can score and defend, this gives them another one. The big risk, obviously, is the fact that he's made a glass. He hasn't played more than 36 games in the past two seasons. Mm. He's actually only played more than 75 games once in his career. Mm. There's been a bit of question about motivation issues over the years. You wonder if some of those missed games were end of seasons when he's just had enough, actually. But, it's interesting yeah. when you consider the the games that he would have potentially... I mean, he has been on playoff teams yeah, at, at in, times, in not Indiana, always. Yeah, yeah. I suppose a... he hasn't played with many really good teams. No, certainly not championship calibre. Mm. 
But obviously the other side of that if is that if he can stay healthy and play at the high level that he's capable of, Miami could very much end up back in that conference final sort of discussion there. The greatest thing about this whole trade is they got an all-star in Oladipo without giving up any core. Mm. That's huge. That is huge. And they needed scoring punch. This is a really good deal for them. Really good. There was a lot of talk that Tyler Hero was going to have to be part of it. Well, he was untouchable, apparently. Duncan Robinson was the one that a lot of people were surprised. They thought he would be a throw-in. But they've come out like bandits in this deal. Mm. Absolute bandits. The only thing that's you know a little bit iffy is again talking about the height side of things. Kelly Olynyk being one of their that is true. One of their only taller players, and they also got Chris Silver. Well, he was starting for them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No. No. That that is true. And yet another reason why Aldridge would have been such an obvious choice there in Mm. Miami. But. They did pick up Namaja Bialica. Yes. So they got him in a trade. So yep. Mo Harkless and Chris Silver. Now Bialica is a really, really great three-point shooter. Yep. So I think he's a he's a guy that's going to give them a little bit more spacing. Miami's bench is 21st in three-point shooting, so he'll help with that. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So yeah, look, I think you're right. I think Miami have done very, very well out of this, and Oladipo has got a lot to play for. Just quickly going back to him, he's been okay, but he hasn't been great. And he's in a contract year. Yeah. So he definitely has a lot to play for. Yep. Whether he stays in Miami or not, if he fucks this up, the next contract ain't going to be worth half of what it was. Yeah, yeah. Could at least make a conference finals. Mm. So great deal. Now, we've got a head scratcher next. Rajon Rondo to the Los Angeles Clippers for Lou Williams. Lemon Pepper Lou. Two second round. Yeah, he's been reunited with (laughs) with Atlanta. Back to Magic City. Uh, I don't know if this is a head scratcher, actually, Shui. I think this was a trade made purely for the playoffs. We know playoff Rondo is a real thing. He was so important in the... The Lakers might not have won the championship without him last season. So I don't actually find this that much of a head scratcher. Lou Williams, as Zach Lowe mentioned on the Low Post recently isn't always great in playoffs. So he does score a lot of points. He's a bit of a microwave, but he doesn't have a great playoff record. So I actually think this makes a lot of sense for the Clips. I think the only way this makes sense for the Clips is locker room presence. That is it. Well, and knowing the Lakers scouting report from last year. But like, if you think about last year when the Clippers were absolutely self-destructing against Denver, can you imagine if you'd had Rajon Rondo yep. in that locker room? Yep. That, that's the only reason I can yep, see Yeah, playoff Rondo. That, that's why they've done it. Playoff Rondo. I, I don't think even his play on the court matters. I don't, I don't think he's going to be on the court that much anyway. It'll be interesting to I, see. I honestly think that, you know, what I mean, what they're saying is, yeah, we need a locker room presence. We maybe need a little bit more playmaking than we're going to get from Patrick Beverly and Reggie Jackson. Well, he'll defend too. He'll defend. Not that yeah. Beverly won't, of course. But. He'll, he'll defend to an extent. I mean, he's 35. He's not yeah, any younger. Yeah. But you know, I, I just I still I still worry about this. The scoring off the bench for the Clippers is a bit iffy at times. Rotation shortened in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. But you, you think about their entire bench in the playoffs was Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell. Yeah. And yep. they're, they're both gone. They're both gone. Yep. So I, I kind of worry about the, the playoff scoring. And I think that that's probably why I was not entirely sure about this. I would have a number of teams ahead of them in the West. Oh yep. I, I think probably at least two or three. Yeah, they need to prove themselves. A couple of other quick ones, Stewie, because it was a big deadline. Yeah, Philadelphia 76ers got George Hill and Ignas Brazdikas. <laughs> I won't even pretend to know anything about him. Uh, I know th- a lot about George Hill. <laughs> yes, that's true. So in that trade, the Thunder get Tony Bradley, Austin Rivers, who's already been waived. God, I feel for this guy Yeah, now. he's bounced around. Yeah, they also get a 2025 second round pick and a 2026 second round pick. God knows what's going to happen then. Yep. Uh, the Knicks get Terrence Ferguson. Now, George Hill, obviously, yeah, he's the big part of that trade. Yep, great defender, playmaker, professional, locker room presence. Good player to have come playoff time. Led the league in three-point percentage last season. Yep. Philly in middle of the pack in that right now. I think what it does is it allows Ben Simmons to play off the ball from time to time. Yes, yep. But it still gives them that crafty point guard. It'll but the fact that he's a three-point shooter as well means that when Ben is playing on the ball... He's got another guy to dish it to. They can run some really cool pick and roll combinations with Embiid and Simmons yep. and George Hill. One, yep. of, one of those two and Hill. Lingering in the corner or, yep, yep. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, geez, just quickly going back to Austin Rivers. OKC would have been the perfect fit for him right now. 
no expectations, no pressure. Just go and do your thing. OKC fans don't even care if you lose every game. Well, they want you to lose every game. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I just, I do feel for him. Yeah, yeah. I oh, he could just go to Brooklyn like with he, everyone else. Yeah, well, I, I just don't think he's an out-of-the-league sort of player. Oh, no, he's no, like, definitely not. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. And if he's been waived, the 76ers might get him. In. <laughs> well, go and play for his dad. Yeah, yep. Now, the other very quick one before we get to a pretty cool one, actually, is JJ Redick. So, canny trade for Dallas. Very canny. Yeah. So, him and Niccolo Melli for James Johnson, Wesu Wundu, and a 2021 first rounder. Look, it doesn't do a heap for them necessarily on paper. It doesn't really jump off at you. He's not going to play huge minutes. He's basically going to be one of those sort of plug and play. Here's a little bit of a bit of a boost off the bench. He might have one of these little two or three minute spells where he hits two or three threes and changes a game. But they've also kept him away from competitors because I thought he would hit the buyout market and I thought he might go back to Philly, which I thought would have been a really good fit mm. for him. But it's weird. They've I heard a really, really great take on this on the guys on the mismatch. They're basically saying like they had Seth Curry and they've basically turned him into Seth Curry 15 years older. <laughs> Which is so true. Well, speaking of turning things, we didn't really pillory Houston enough. They didn't get a lot for Westbrook and Harden in the end, did they? Oh, God, yeah. That, that, yeah, we, we could talk about that. That would take a while yeah. in terms of what they've turned players into. They've done terribly. Yeah. But a really cool one to, to round things out. I, I, again, I don't know if it does a whole heap to the championship race. So Portland have traded Rodney Hood and Gary Trent Jr. to Toronto for Norman Powell. I like this trade. I, I do like this for Portland. So Powell's 20 points per game, 44% from deep. Gary Trent Jr. was having a solid season. Rodney Hood was not. Yeah, Trent Jr. wanted to stay in Portland and Powell is a free agent. So this is, this is an interesting one for me. Look, Norman Powell's contract's about $10 million a year and I think Gary Trent's going to ask for a lot more than Powell. Yeah, but they could have had his, had his bird rights well, if they'd kept him. So they might lose both come off-season. Look, it's possible. Yeah, it's but, an interesting one. But look, they can run some really funky lineups. I mean, Lillard and McCollum and Powell all at once. That's some really scary He's shooting. a bit more athletic, so yeah. It's, that's some really scary shooting. I didn't have to... I had to mention this, though, because this is one of the absolute craziest facts that I've ever heard. Oh, go on. So anyone who's followed the NBA as long as we have will remember Gary Trent Jr.'s dad. Yes, Gary Trent. Gary Trent. <laughs> so both of them were drafted by different teams but traded to Portland on draft day. Okay, yeah. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, they both started their careers in Portland. Both of them played their first two full seasons for Portland. Yep. Both of them were traded exactly 41 games into their third season with Portland. Really? Both of them were traded to, to Toronto. Toronto. Really? I don't remember Gary Trent Sr. playing for Toronto. He did. For wow. about, he played bugger all. He played yeah, like okay. 13 or 14 games. There you go. And if you round both of their points per game average with Portland to the nearest whole number, they both averaged 10 points per game in their, <laughs> in their time with Portland. <laughs> well, I hope he has a kid and we get Gary Trent the third. Junior, junior. <laughs> Wendy, you, junior, junior. How, how random is it that all of those things line up? That's... Stranger than fiction. It's absolutely nuts. To to have the exact same amount of games into the third season yeah. and be traded to the same yeah, team. That's nuts. It's it's absolutely crazy. That is a crazy step. Also, every single player named Gary in the league was traded on, yeah. on deadline day. All, <laughs> I thought all three, three of them. them. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, I thought that was that was pretty cool. <laughs> oh yes. Now before we move on more to random. Yeah, stuff. oh some really random ones. So we mentioned Russell Westbrook last week and his triple double tear continues. Oh, it sure does. He had a huge game today, a monster. So 35 points, 21 assists, and 14 rebounds in a win over Indiana today. The first 35-20 triple double ever. Yes, it certainly was. That's huge. Look, this is the joy of bold predictions. So people who've been listening, <laughs> I made the bold prediction a few a couple of weeks ago Can't get them all. that Westbrook wouldn't pass Oscar Robertson for the most triple doubles ever. That's the thing with bold predictions. They've got to be a little bit stupid. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, most of the time they're not going to come off. But when they do, like the Oral Roberts one did, yep. you look awesome. Yep. But most of the time they just don't. So, look, Russ is now the Wizards' all-time leader in triple doubles. Already. Daryl Walker. That's he's, nuts. He's played 38 games. Yeah, that's crazy. And he has 16. Less than half a season. There's a couple of other things about that, though, about the game today. In the past five seasons, he has six games of 20 points and 20 assists. 
the rest of the NBA has won. Yeah. Chris Paul. Yeah. The guy who he was traded yeah, to yeah, Houston yeah, for. Yeah, yeah. There's also been five 20 point, 20 assist, 10 rebound games in NBA history that I can find. He has four of them. Wow. The other one belongs to one of the most underrated players in the history of the league, Rod Strickland. Yes. Well, he had a very good start to his career. He yeah. did. Yeah. Until he threw that horrible pass for the Spurs and ruined their playoffs one year. <laughs> I don't, I don't even know what you're talking oh, about. Oh, you need then. to look it up on YouTube. Oh, he really? threw a terrible no-look pass in a pressure situation where a normal pass would have done the oh, trick. And Spurs fans still hate him to this there day. There you go. Yeah, but no, he did have a very good career. He led the league in assists one year, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, at least one. Yeah, year. yeah. Um, that night, actually, funnily enough, where he had that 2020-10, Tracy Murray had 50 for Washington in that game Yes, well. I do remember he had a 50 once in his career. It was career. a crazy, crazy game. That yeah. one. So, so that was pretty cool. And the other thing, Bradley Beal didn't even play. Yes. So the best guy to pass it to to get you the assist wasn't even there. It was Rui Hashimura. So he had 20 assists. Well, that is that is crazy. Yeah, he played, crazy. he played a sensational game. Now, we're going to finish this off with Joe Ingles. Ah, uh, the jingles. Now, unfortunately, he's cooled off a little bit in the last three games. He had a stretch last week where he made 18 of 22 threes over a three-game stretch. The Aussies are having career years. Paddy Mills as well. Yeah, he's they been are. fantastic this season. Part, partly why Utah have gone so well. But get this, so 81.8%, that is the best three-point percentage through a three-game stretch in NBA history. Wow. Well, with a minimum of 20. Yeah, I was going to say with volume. Minimum, yeah, yeah. minimum 20 of yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, obviously, guys could go three of three. Yeah, but, yeah, or one of one. Or one of one. Yeah. But yeah, true shooting percentage. Now, if you haven't heard of this, it's a measure used to show shooting efficiency, takes into account field goals, three-pointers, and free throws. So it's really technical, but... <laughs> it's a Nate Silver stat, this one. It really is. So essentially, it's your total points divided by two times the total of your field goal attempts plus 0.44 times your free throw attempts. It's a lot easier to see it written down than it is to listen to it. <laughs> but Joe Ingles sits uh. with a true shooting percentage of 72.9%. The highest full season true shooting percentage ever yep. is 72.6 by wow. Mitchell Robinson of the Knicks last season. So he's actually on track to break that. And again, more volume, playing a lot more than Robinson played. And the vast majority of his shots are from three. Yeah. He was actually even on track about a week ago to be the first player ever to have 50% shooting from deep on more than five attempts again. from three again. Yeah. Well, I heard him on an NBL podcast where they want him taking so many threes. Like that is just get him launched. So yeah, he's benefiting. He's dropped down to a dismal 48.9%. Oh, not good enough. Half <laughs> not of good your threes. Enough. And now, this week in sport history. March 30th, 2001, at the age of 15 years and nine months, American swimmer Michael Phelps breaks the 200-metre butterfly world record at the US World Championship Trials in Austin, Texas, at the time becoming the youngest ever male swimmer to set a world mark. This record stood for less than four months, though, when it was broken by Michael Phelps. <laughs> <laughs> Phelps actually broke that record eight times. I was going to say, I bet it happened a lot. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. And eventually, Christoph Milak of Hungary smashed it in July 2019, becoming the first person to go below one minute 51. Now, if you're wondering who the youngest ever female was to break a world record, amazingly, it was the late Karen Muir of South Africa who broke the 100 meter backstroke record at the age of just 12 years, wow. 10 months, and 25 days. Wow. She retired from swimming at 16. Well, far too old. Done. Yeah. Put her out to pasture. Go home, Grandma. <laughs> Isn't that nuts? That is crazy. Can you imagine breaking any world record at 12. Wow. Yeah. It's a young person's sport, but crikey. That's, that That's is taking it to next level. That is. April 1st, 1930, and not an April Fool's joke. Chicago Cubs catcher Leo Hartnett breaks the altitude record for a catch by gloving a baseball drop from the Goodyear blimp 800 feet over Wrigley Field in Los Angeles, California. Now, what's crazy about this is that he did it in a coat and tie with no protective gear worn. A year later, a former major league catcher named Joe Sprintz tried to duplicate Hartnett's catch of 800 feet by catching a ball dropped from a blimp 800 feet above Terminal Island in San Francisco. Sprintz was also wearing straight clothes. The ball landed in his mitt, but the force of the ball knocked the glove into his unprotected face, breaking his jaw in 12 places, knocking out five of his teeth, lacerating both lips, and to add insult to injury, he dropped the ball. If, <laughs> at least it wasn't someone's lunch. If you're interested in records, in 2012, a guy named Zach Hample actually gloved one dropped from a helicopter 1,050 feet above him, but no one from Guinness was there to verify, so the mark of Hartnett still stands. 
Imagine going to all that trouble. When Hampel was actually doing that, there was about probably 15 or 20 balls that he missed. And the balls were actually completely submerging themselves underneath the, the grass. Yeah, yeah. They were hitting that hard. It's like itchy and scratchy with the little quarter yeah. dropped from the top <laughs> yes. of the Seattle. Yes. <laughs> the crazy thing is, though, that on the ground they were doing that one in 2013. They had a game that night. So the poor divots replace your divots. The poor groundsman had to sit there and uh, smush all of them out. Got to think nice. these things through a bit absolutely better, MLB. Nice. April 2nd, 1985, the NCAA Rules Committee adopts a 45-second shot clock for men's basketball to begin in the 1986 season in an effort to eliminate stalling. It was lowered to 35 seconds for the 93-94 season and 30 seconds for the 2015-16 season. I still remember watching a lot of college basketball with that 45-second yeah, shot clock. Yeah, I'm surprised it wasn't later, actually. It was hard to watch. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Well, just... they wouldn't get into their offense for the first 25 seconds. Yeah. So you've got a normal shot clock where they're just dribbling around at the top of the key. Yeah, I, I never understood why the shot clock was so different to the NBA. Yeah. Because you've got these guys going in expecting yep. everything to be the same. And aside from the fact that zone defenses, they've got half the shot clock, as you just mentioned. So yep. yeah, it's absolutely nuts. But uh, yeah, thank God for that. Imagine if there was no shot clock. Ugh. Ugh, all right. Also, April 2nd, 2005. Now, we've all seen countless fights on the field, but this one is pretty damn rare indeed. Newcastle United teammates Kieran Dyer and Lee Bowyer are both sent off for fighting each other in a 3-0 home defeat to rivals Aston Villa at St. James Park. Bowyer took exception to a couple of passes that Dyer made, which didn't go to him. And Dyer turned to him and said, well, the reason I didn't pass you the ball is because you're fucking shit. <laughs> They were both shown red cards and were all set to continue in the tunnel before they were separated. They were separated by a couple of masseuses, if I remember correctly. <laughs> well, Stewie, and that's after an Aston Villa player came and separated them on the park. We just let them fight. I found that a bit surprising Yeah, as Gareth well. Barry. That was, yeah. He was nuts getting involved. Yeah, in he was. Yeah, he could have been, could have copped it. Yeah, he could have. Both players received an automatic three-game ban and the Football Association fined Bowyer £30,000 and gave him another three-game ban. Plus, Newcastle fined him six weeks' wages. Now, Dyer wasn't fined at all, as it was deemed that Boyer was the one who threw the first punch. But Boyer was also charged by Northumbria Police for the brawl. With offences under Section 4 of the Public Order Act, he pled down to using threatening behaviour and was fined £600 and ordered to pay £1,000 in costs. The footage of that is absolutely insane. It's so weird. I remember when we played high school ball, funnily enough, with Alex Loughton, who we interviewed in a previous show, one of our teammates pushed Alex under the ring as a playful, you know, bit of a joke, and the ref caught a foul on him. Yeah, that was the, the referee that looked a, looked like, a bit like Santa, <laughs> Santa Claus. Yeah, yeah. He, he was useless. no idea what he was doing. Ugh. There was actually something similar to this in 1995. There was an incident where Blackburn Rovers, I think, were playing Spartak Moscow in the Champions League, and... Who was it? it? Was Graham Lasso and David Batty actually? Funnily enough, the same guy. They were playing for Blackburn Rovers. There you go. And they ended up getting into a fight, and neither of them were given a yellow card. So there's not really a great precedent there. Well, here's the question: If it's friendly fire, should you be? I'm really on the fence about this because you've got to set an example for the kids. Yeah, but I mean, if it's your own team, look, I think in in an instance where punches are thrown, I think you have to send yeah, them off. That's fair. The, that's the fair. funny thing about the Blackburn one though was Graham was so actually broke his left hand with the first punch that he threw, and Blackburn lost the match three 0 so Another three 0 loss. Not a particularly great effort. From no Lusso. injury to insult. He went on to say, "I'm not a fighter. No, <laughs> no shit." <laughs> April 3rd, 1996, the St. Francis of Illinois Fighting Saints score a college baseball run record of 71 runs in a 71-1 to win over Robert Morris College <laughs> in a game which was mercifully called off after just four innings. Oh, wow. So they did, I was going to say, so they didn't have the mercy rule yet, but that was with the mercy rule. That was rule. with the mercy oh rule. Oh my gosh. Get this, only 19 of the 71 runs were actually earned with the rest of them coming from 16 errors from John Morris. Wow. So not a great game for it, them. They would have been better off if one bloke called John Morris played on his own. Well, they couldn't have done much more. Yeah, exactly, that's what I'm saying. So St. Francis had 26 runs in the first inning, 22 in the second, a measly four in the third, and 19 in the fourth and last. Lift your game, jeez. Ouch. I wonder if the guys <laughs> were coming out sort of switch hitting, trying to hit left-handed instead of right. They could have done anything. Oh, just, you, it's, you feel bad for teams like that that have obviously not got any idea. What it's painful. It is yeah. painful. This week in sport history. Well, Stewie has his custom now at the top of the AFL. We've got to talk about tips. How'd you go? Do we have to? Yes, we do. No, look, it wasn't as bad as last week. I got six. So yeah, I'm, okay. I'm trending up. Yep. 
I think like a lot of people, I thought Carlton looked way better than the Pies uh, in round tell one. Me about so it. I missed that one. Yep. I thought St Kilda's win over GWS in round one looked way more impressive than it actually was. When in actual fact, the Giants are really that shit. Yep. So I missed picking Melbourne, and I stupidly overcorrected and put too much weight on the Dockers' injuries in GWS's round one performance. No, no. Instead of taking Freo at home. Ah, oh, Stewie. Mm. Yeah. It was looking good for about the opening bounce, and then <laughs> or it just went downhill from there. <laughs> oh, yeah, dear. I won't be making that mistake again. Well, I'm consistent. Seven again, and mm. same thing. Two of my four wrongs this this year have been Carlton, and I had St Kilda. After getting them right last week, I took a gamble on them, and I shouldn't have mm. should have picked Melbourne. So there you go. There you go. There you go. Big round though, Cats and Lions, possibly game of the round, along with Eagles and Dogs, which we'll get to as well. But after a somewhat average Collingwood Carlton game on the Thursday, the Friday night game did not disappoint, did mm-hmm. it? And we've got a lot to unpack from this game. So obviously, as most people have seen, Geelong held on to win by a point, 81 to 80, in a very fiery and controversial match, you could say. We probably have to start right at the end of the match, though. Yeah. Last minute of the game. Yep. Umpiring blue. Mark Blitzhouse caught 10 metres out on a slight angle by Zach Bailey. I mean, it's holding the ball. Yep. Incorrect disposal every day of the week. Every single day of the week. Yep. The league has admitted they got it wrong. Yeah, which is refreshing. It is. Not good for Lions fans. Unfortunately, it doesn't do anything. No, now staring <laughs> so, down the barrel of 0-2. Well, then we work our way backwards and there was another one. Sure, umpiring decision. Yeah, and I'm not sure about the deliberate that was paid before that against Isaac Smith. Like The line that he took kicking the ball outside 50 was to avoid the defender. This part of the rule where it's paid as deliberate because it's bounced on its end and Tom Hawkins couldn't get to it. Well, and it's sprayed off the side of his boot. Yeah. I would not have called that deliberate it, at all. It looked to me a little bit iffy. and Yeah, it was definitely iffy. And as I say, I mean, had that ball bounced any other way except for end on end, Hawkins gets to it, kicks it down the line. I know they've been paying that a lot, but I'm not really sure about that. I don't really like it. I know they want less throw-ins. They want the ball to be moving, but... Yeah, I'm not well, sure. Well, here's that. one for you, Stewie. Did they not call the holding the ball as a makeup call for a dodgy deliberate? Oh, that's an interesting thought. I mean, you have to hope not because you sure do have to hope. Not. Obviously, the but results they're are... humans and they, you know, they think about things and yeah. And yeah. it is funny though. We only ever seem to magnify these bad decisions like game when they cost teams yeah, that directly. Yeah. Yep. I dare say, though, perhaps if the Lions weren't four goals, nine at half time, we'd be talking about a pretty comfortable win by Brisbane. Well, and we talked about the woes in front of goal a lot last season, and we said that it would come to haunt them. And yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, look, their final total, 11 goals, 12. It's not horrendous. No. Certainly not by any stretch of the imagination. And there were a couple of really, really easy ones missed. I'm sure it was Hipwood missed one from about 20 metres out straight in front. Just quickly going back to the, to the replay of that holding the ball incident. I love Brian Taylor's call on it. His usual sort of, boy, oh boy, goodness gracious me. They've missed one there. Oh, we love BT. Such, a, such an amazing energy that he brings to those calls. And I did really love hearing Chris Fagan talk after the game, saying that it was their inaccuracy and not that umpiring call that cost them the match. Yep. Yeah, but, well, he's classy. We like Fags. He, he is, yeah. but... It's very easy for guys to take that whole, let's just let one go through to the keeper and just not comment on it at all. Um, Chris Scott was very quick to not, you know, say, I don't want to comment on this at all. I'd rather just move on. Yeah. But I think Fagan has taken it a step further and actually done the right thing and said, look, that's not the reason we lost. Yeah. And it's, he's absolutely right. So, yeah, that was, that was very, very interesting. So then there are a couple of things at quarter time as we work our way backwards. The, fact that a couple of commentators were pulled due to COVID dramas in Brisbane and the whole Queensland COVID thing is really weird because the women's team went back to the state, but the men's team got an exemption. But um, Wayne Kerry got removed from the box. Not a big deal. Doesn't say a hell of a lot anyway. Quite often (laughs) disappears for large stretches of commentary. Uh, And who was the other? I thought he was there for the whole game. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Yeah, yeah. And And Luke Hodge. Luke Hodge, Hodge, yeah. So when I was parking... Going to the Wildcats. I heard them talking about it on the ABC broadcast. Yeah. And it, Abby Holmes stepped in. And it follows on beautifully from what caught my attention. Yeah, yeah. Abby yep. Holmes stepped in absolutely beautifully. Do you know the thing I loved about that the most was just this cute little excitement in her voice. Oh, I'm up in the box. No. <laughs> it, was, it was absolutely adorable. It was so endearing. But yeah. Lots of great tweets about it too, I noticed. Yeah. I, 
I, I love listening to her commentating. I mean, I honestly, I find the guys who have played the game, Luke Darcy excluded, obviously. Oh, you're not a fan of Darcy. Well, no, shit, he missed, mixed up Kennedy and Darling twice in the Eagles game. <laughs> Yeah, well, they don't. They just don't. They don't care about the WA team, the wow. interstate teams. Exactly. But no, when you when you look at the guys who have played the game, for the most part, they understand the feel of the game. They understand what teams are doing, their setups. They just get it. And the same can be said, obviously, about the women who have played in the AFLW. They seem to have this really, really great idea. And I mentioned Abby Holmes and Erin Phillips and Daisy Pierce before. There's obviously going to be a lot more coming through as the years roll by, but. A few rare ones like Kelly Underwoods who kind of get it without actually having played in the in the actual game itself. But yeah, geez, I thought this was such an amazing moment and they really made the most out of what was a pretty average situation. Yeah, yeah. So a massive tick, obviously, to Channel 7 for improvising on the fly. Now, the Scotty thing. The <sighs> other quarter time drama. Yeah. Geez, what do you make of that? Well, he was always a fiery character as a player and he's, the Scott brothers are pretty fiery coaches too. So, yeah. So I guess what's led to it is not really something that's been determined just yet. There's still a lot of speculation. People throwing... About what was said. Yeah, throwing things left, right and centre. There's been talk that some people were saying some stuff about Scotty's hair, which when you consider all the mullets and things flying through the league at the moment. (laughs) I think what's happened, there's been a lot of niggle between Lockie Neal and Gary Rowan, and I think some stuff's been said. Lockie Neal's then basically exacerbated the whole thing. And these teams played in the prelim last year. There's a bit of animosity bubbling over still, I guess. There was a lot of talk that uh, Mitch Robinson and Joey Danaher were talking and, and talking shit about Geelong and how piss poor they were in the grand final. There's a lot of things. Look, we probably will never know exactly what was said, the bottom line is, I guess, you know, as a coach, do you think he has an obligation to be above that? It's not a good look. It's not a good look. On, yeah. on the flip side, though, if you're the coach and someone's talking shit about you, do you have to just take it? Yeah, it's tough. It's it's a really fine line. Look, it is. He will get a he'll get a please explain from the league. He'll probably get hit with a small fine. This talker might be suspended, actually. Okay. Yeah, a suspended fine. So okay keep his nose clean. Yeah, I'm okay with I'm that. I'm okay too. with that. I'm okay with that. The the big question though that has been asked is that if he's getting a please explain, then why is Lockie Neal not? Because mm. really, he's more of a role model than a coach is. Yes. Well, certainly front and center more. Yep. Brownlow medalist. You Absolutely. Know, these these under tens, under twelves that are coming up through the ranks are looking at the Lockie Neals of the world as their heroes because. Yep. These are the guys that are dominating in the AFL. He's a pretty important player. So Yep. No, no, definitely. I think at the end of the day, it didn't come to blows. Everyone's fine. Move on. Yeah. Which is why I think a suspended fine is, is okay. It's appropriate. God, I hope they play in the finals, though. <laughs> How good well, they? Brisbane have got to win a few games. This is true. No, they should come good. But uh, my, my early prediction for them to be a faller looks good so far. Yeah, well, it certainly does. Now, we've kind of buried the lead a little bit. Oh, I know, I'm stealing your, your line every week now. <laughs> we've got to talk a little bit about the Gary Rowan incident. Now, what we've seen, I guess, is Lockie Neal's kind of lent in a little bit of, not a jumper punch, but one of those little sort of punches to the solar plexus. Yep, yep. And Rowan's responded with what you can only really describe as a, a thrunch, I guess, <laughs> like a, a combination of a throw and a punch. yeah. Where, yeah, and it's a bit of a whack. It's what I'd call a whack. Yeah. You know, when you're kids, you, yeah, you know, yeah. give your sibling a bit of a whack. Yeah, it's like a forearm yeah. like a whack rather than a back end. Yeah, and then Neil showed three fingers basically to imply you're going to get three weeks for that, which is absolute horseshit. Isn't it just? Yeah. Now, that's already gone through to the match review panel. Yeah. He's been given two weeks. Yeah, it's outrageous. So it's been ruled as intentional conduct, medium impact, and high contact. Yeah. I mean, it was high slightly. <sighs> I'm not even convinced he should have got a week for that. I mean, I don't know if, if previous points were working against him potentially, but any more than a week is ridiculous. And I don't even think he should have got a week. The fact that it was purely a retaliation sort of thing as well, I'm, I'm certainly in agreement with you. I, I definitely don't think it should have been more than a fine. How often do you see the retaliation being? It's like the free kick or the 50 or whatever it is. All it's the time. so often and happens. The, and the thing is, we'll get into something in a minute when we talk about the Fremantle game, yes. which really puts that into perspective. So yes. if you look at, obviously, the result of that, Lockie Neal's, he's been on the ground for a few seconds, but he's got up, he's played on, and he's played a part in the game. 
So to get two weeks for that, yeah, it, it seems a little bit rich. It's too much. So I guess the obvious next thing to talk about is the Fremantle GWS yeah, game. let's go there. So obviously the big talking point is the big hit from Sam Reid on, on that five. On that five. Yep. So for people who haven't seen it, Fife's basically run through the middle of a, of a pack. He hasn't taken possession of the ball. He's a couple of metres past where the ball is. Reed's come in and basically blindside, hit him with the shoulder and the upper arm. And raised the elbow. And raised the elbow and basically Fife's gone down, now has a concussion. Yep. Two weeks. Yep. So what they're saying is after the three weeks that was given out to Paddy Dangerfield last week and the two weeks that were given out for basically Gary Rowan's a, a, a thump. piss week thump. Yep. They're saying that's the same. Yeah. That's no, the same. I don't think so. It's less than what Paddy Dangerfield did. Yeah. I don't think so. I, I can't understand this. You know, they're talking about how the head is going to be sacrosanct. And this is in the same week that they have this game for Spud Frawley. Yeah. The, the Spud yeah. game where they're talking about mental health issues. They're talking about guys head getting hit in the head. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they made this beautiful scene in the Melbourne versus St Kilda game where they, everyone's got around in a circle. They've talked about their feelings. And it was it was an absolutely amazing moment and a, a real groundbreaking moment for the AFL. Modern footy. Absolutely. Yep. And then they go and do this. Yeah. It's it's disgusting, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah. I. The potential for Nat Fife to be missing potentially two or three games for this. There's talk that they may even hold him out for a month. Wow. Because, wow. it's, because it's that serious. Yeah, okay. And you're talking about one of the absolute marquee players in the game. I mean, yep. Two-time Brownlow medalist. Yep. And playing very well as well. The absolute leader of that Fremantle yep. team. Yep. And to take him out and give a guy two weeks, I, I just don't think it's good enough. I think it's irresponsible from the league. It's tricky, isn't it? Because it always looks worse in slow-mo and it happens so quickly. It's the raising of the elbow. Yeah. It was the raising of the elbow. Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and I... You're spot on. I think if he'd come through, kept the arm tucked in, yep. you'd probably be talking, maybe he gets a week, maybe it's rough conduct. Five well, weeks. going on the Gary Rowan thing, it's yeah. two weeks. Well, <laughs> like, well, yeah, exactly. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. But, but Fife probably doesn't end up with a concussion. Yeah. And we're probably not really talking about this. It's absolutely that little extension that basically drives Fife into the ground. So... Yeah, it's, it's not a good look from the league. And, you know, the fact that he didn't even see it coming, I think is probably what makes it even worse. Yep. But great to see Sean Darcy back for Freo. Yes. Had a couple of really exciting, nice little taps too. One leading to a goal that on the run. Switkowski. Yeah, that oh, was magnificent. Switkowski played all right, actually. Yeah, yeah good yeah. kid. Now, the other potential game of the round, again, I unfortunately didn't get to see this one. I did listen to a fair bit on the radio. Another absolute nail-biter between the West's teams. Yeah. Western Bulldogs and West Coast Eagles. Yeah. Look, look at a map and they're on opposite sides of the country, <laughs> but they both got West in the could title. scarcely be further from each other. Look, I, I did pick this one. I mean, I, I had a feeling that the Bulldogs would win, as I'm sure most people did. Very impressed with how most of the Eagles played, though. It was, it was nice to see a, a really solid performance and they gave themselves every chance. Well, I mean, Shuey was out and... Elliot uh, Yo's... Yeah, Yo was out. So that's two pretty big outs. Two yeah. huge outs. And look, Jamie Cripps kicks into the man on the mark, 15 metres out on a slight angle, puts us up maybe 20 points, I think, early in the yes, first quarter. With the new mark rules, that's like criminal, isn't yeah, absolutely. it? Absolutely. Absolutely criminal. Ridiculous. Yeah, it's but, no excuse now. But no, there, there is not. But look, a, a couple of things I do just want to quickly mention. It, you often talk about the eye test in sport and how we love stats we love numbers we we love how you know they can sometimes represent the game but sometimes they are a misrepresentation oh yeah absolutely yeah they're only part of the picture and i think the 29 touches and 108 fantasy points that tim kelly had was a little bit of a misrepresentation yeah probably a lot of useless handballs wasn't it well not so much that but just not really doing enough with the ball and I'll also talk about Andrew Gaff. I think he's been a bit of a concern. 16 disposals a game from a guy who traditionally averages 26 well it's an aging list it is, but Gaffy's still... He should still be, yeah. Should still be dominated. Yeah. You know, I'm seeing contests where someone basically needs to go in and extract the football and guys like Gaff and guys like Tim Kelly are not getting in there. And that's where we do miss guys like Elliot Yo and Shuey who will get in there. They don't care if they get their head ripped off. They're going in after that ball. And it, 
for me, look, I love the look of the doggies. They're they're a tough team. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They've got top four written all over them. They, they've got one of the best, if not best, midfield in the competition. It's the best. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, and that's with Trelaw walking in. But nothing typifies, I guess, how good the dogs are in terms of their their want and how much they go after it. There's about a minute and a half left in the game. I don't think anything typifies more than potentially one passage of play. So there's about two minutes left. Tom Coles. Yeah, minute 30, key. Yeah, it was absolutely yeah, I think key. might be right. It was closer to yeah. 90 seconds. Yeah. Tom Coles kicked one out towards the wing around the 50 meter mark. And we're looking at three guys Oscar Allen, Liam Ryan, and Jamie Cripps versus one Bulldog, Bailey Williams. Yep. Williams wins that contest. Yeah, yep. And wins it easily. Yep. Kicks it down the wing to Bont and leads to the match winning goal. Well, that, that's it. I mean, yep. they, they got a lucky bounce. There, there was a ball that bounced out in front of Bruce. He could easily have let that go over the boundary line. But yeah, they walk it inside 50 and the game's over. Yeah. So look, great game of footy. And I'm, as I say, really, really happy to see the dogs back to the quality that they were in that final series a few years ago. This is kind of what we've been wanting to see from the dogs. Yeah, well, that's right. That's right. They teased that year, that premiership year. And, and, and they haven't really done enough since. And they've got injuries as well. Yeah, yeah. So very, very impressive. But look, so two weeks in, you've got Port Richmond and the Bulldogs, not surprisingly 2-0, and but you do have the Demons and your Swans at 2-0, and which was a little yeah. bit of a shock. Yeah, well, we've got Richmond this week, so that'll be a true test. Real that will be the litmus test. But looking, the Swans have a easy-ish run. They could very easily be 5-1 and one after the first six games. That would be great. So, yeah. Yep. And then on the flip side, things looking really worrying for North Melbourne, Essendon and GWS already. Massive games for Brisbane and Carlton this week. Oh, yeah, going huge. 3 Bloody Carlton. They just keep teasing. I was drinking that. You're talking about drinking the Dockers Kool-Aid. I was drinking the Carlton Kool-Aid big time and they have been very disappointing. And how so, good's the footy? Oh, yeah, it's good to oh, be back. So good. Yeah. So good. All right, sure, you know what that music means. What do you have for? Look, it's got to be Collingwood and Brisbane in the AFL. That one's really jumping out at me. Will Brisbane start 0-3 or will the Jamie Elliott injury prove to be bigger for Big Collingwood game. than we thought? Big game. In the cricket, there's a cracker in Sri Lanka between Tamil Union Cricket and Athletic Club. And yes, this is a real name, Nondescripts Cricket Club in Colombo. <laughs> They've got Upal Chandana and Russell Arnold in their team and they are awesome. They're handy, How even in their advanced stage. Well, Sydney Richmond is a real big litmus test for the Swans, but also obviously the final four and the championship game in the NCAA tournament. Can't wait to see how that all unfolds. Until next time, I'm Nath. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes.